This empty chair represents the addict who died today, not knowing recovery was possible. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this tonight, an amazing episode on this empty chair. I have some amazing guests here tonight to share their experience, strength, and hope on a a topic that's pretty tough for uh, for for people to listen to, and uh, I'm just so blessed um, that these two women are allowing themselves to be transparent and to share their experience, strength, and hope. Um, but before we start, I always like to take the opportunity to thank our sponsors. Our sponsors, you'll see the banners throughout the evening. These are the individuals that help us, um, they sponsor us, they purchase that banner, and with the funds from the banners, we're able to put uh, men and women into treatment or sober living, so we're just really blessed. So a big shout out to Bob and Andrea Surrett of Alternative Healthcare, um, Andover Cares, the Law Office of Artie Broadhurst, Celebrate Recovery of Plastow, New Hampshire, Circle of Hope, which is Phil and Fran Leahy, also, big thank you to John Croto and his family of Cornerstone Services, Enterprise Bank in Methuen, Essex Floor, Haven of Hope, Lawrence MCC, McLennan Century 21, Sid Harris at Methuen Events, Methuen Rotary Club, Recovery Centers of America, and Top Sale. So thank you uh, to all our sponsors. We truly appreciate you. Also, I'd just like to give um, what's going on locally. So we have some local happenings that continue to go on. On Monday evenings, we have a group called the Circle of Hope. It's a family support group uh, ran by Fran and Phil Leahy, and it is currently on Zoom. If you want more information on that, the number is 978-886-2949. And again, that is on Monday evenings at 6.30 on Zoom. If you have a loved one that's suffering from addiction, you need some support, come on and join us. Also, the first Monday of every month, we have a resource night. And we recently just held our um, resource night this Monday, and Top Seal Addiction Treatment Center came. We had over um, 30 guests that had showed up for it to learn a little bit about their services, so it was pretty awesome. So Monday, February 1st, we'll have our next resource night, and I'm waiting for confirmation on someone that I asked to come in and speak, so I'm not going to say they're going to be there until they confirm. Also, just a reminder, on Tuesday evening, Celebrate Recovery. Um, they are at the Rock Church in Newton Ro on Newton Road in Plaston, New Hampshire. They are currently meeting on Zoom, and if anyone needs any information, um, you can reach out to Diana Teal, and she's on Facebook, or as always, you can contact me, and I will hook you folks up. On Wednesday evenings, there's an amazing group called the Movement Family. It's TMF, and that is Michael Gorman. He is the uh, founder of it. He feeds the homeless from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. in Lawrence, Massachusetts. So if you're interested in wanting to get out there to give back to the community, Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock at 1 South Broadway in Lawrence. You can also reach out to Michael Gorman or reach out to myself for more information. On uh, Recovery Centers of America has a few um, things coming up. On January 9th, they have Managing Stress Seminar with Erin Jewell, and that will be from 3 to 4 p.m., and they also have three courses coming up in January where you're able to get CEUs. So if anyone's out there that needs CEUs, 
for um, all of these information, just go to recoverycentersofamerica.com and look at their events and just sign up. And these are things that you definitely don't want to miss. Um, so <clears throat> January is um, Human Trafficking and Sex Trade Awareness Month. And currently right now, 600,000 to 800,000 individuals are trafficked in the United States every year. In Boston alone, it is reported that an estimate of 20,000 searches for sex are happening every afternoon. And currently, this is the fastest growing criminal enterprise worldwide. Tonight, I have two amazing speakers here to share their experience, strength, and hope and how they got caught up in this, and how they escaped, and how today they help other women. So tonight I'm going to introduce my beautiful sister in Christ, Chelsea, to share her experience, strength, and hope. And uh, Ursel will chime in and just make this an authentic evening, and, and thank you all for being here. Chelsea. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Chelsea. I'm a survivor of sex trafficking, and I'm also in long-term recovery. Um, I'm from Lynn. Um, there's a lot of things that made me vulnerable for being trafficked um, and having substance use disorder. Both of my parents were um, addicts. Uh, when I was about four, my mom was murdered by who they think was her trafficker in the streets of Chelsea. Um, and it was never investigated. There was just articles in the newspaper about a streetwalker being killed um, and basically like giving her a bad name. Um, I was placed into foster care and then placed with my grandparents and my father was still around and a year later he died of a heroin overdose. Um, and while I was with my grandparents, I had a bus driver that would drive me and drop me off last and he would do things to me. And I had a neighbor who used to do inappropriate things to me. And it was like all things that I couldn't talk about. Um, you know, later, not too long ago when I was pregnant before my grandmother passed, I had asked her if something had happened to me when I was little because of all this trauma that I have. And she had told me that they knew that this bus driver was doing stuff, but I guess, you know, old school, they just kind of don't talk about it. Um, so I did my best as a kid. I, you know, was in sports and um, I just always had this emptiness inside of me and I always felt so uncomfortable and anxious and like I lived in fear. I, I felt abandoned by my parents. Like I couldn't understand why they weren't around. Um, I was, I, was a self-harmer from a young age. Like I was always just screaming quietly in a way for someone to like figure out what was going on with me and to help me. And I just felt like nobody did that. Um, so when I started, when I found alcohol, when I was about 12 and drugs and boys, um, you know, my life just kind of spiraled from that point on. Uh, I was always looking for men to validate me or make me feel safe um, or just love me and take care of me. Um, and then, you know, I started, sex started happening and like hanging out with these older kids and doing this stuff. Like if I didn't give it to them, they'd end up taking it from me anyway. So like sex to me didn't have any correlation with like love. It was just something that I did so that you wouldn't hurt me or so that you would care about me. Um, you know, I was kicked out of three different high schools. Um, 
I was just felt like I was just thrown away, just like kicked out like I was the bad kid. Um, when I was graduating high school, I met an older guy and because um, I was always kicked out of the house all the time. I was kicked out of my grandparents' house and then I would go and live with my aunt and then I would go and live with a friend. I was just always bouncing around. Um, and, you know, I'd always get asked to leave at some point and I always blamed everybody else for that. Um, so he sold Oxycontins and, you know, I got a really bad habit with those and eventually he kicked me out. Um, and when he kicked me out, I swore I would never ever be like my parents. Um, but like, I had nowhere to go. Now I'm on the streets of Lynn and I'm homeless. I can't afford an Oxy habit. So I became an IV drug user and I started to do things that I said I would never do. Um, I would get in the car with anybody. Um, just so I could either not be sick anymore or I could have food to eat or I could have a place to stay. And this whole time, like I always thought that this was my fault. And like through my recovery, I realized that I was being, it wasn't my fault, right? I was being exploited by the man driving up the street who saw a sick girl that he could prey on. Um, and like to make a choice means that you have other options. And I didn't, I didn't have other options. Um, you know, I eventually got arrested and sent to a halfway house um, in Worcester and my aunts had dropped me off and they didn't see me again for four years. Um, I went into that halfway house and I just wasn't ready to like talk about the things that were going on with me, the things that I had done. There was so much shame and guilt that I was carrying. Um, so I ended up leaving and I ended up going to Boston and, um, you know, I got in the car with a guy and he, we ended up in New Jersey. Um, and when I was there, I, I don't know how I got with this person, but I ended up with um, a pimp who was a blood gang member. And he ended up taking my IDs and changing my name. Um, I wasn't allowed to drink or use drugs or anything because we got more money for a girl that wasn't high. Um, so when I was there and he had like put me out in one of the casinos and I was like sick and I was sober and I couldn't do any of this stuff, the sober mind. Um, so I ended up using and drinking uh, and I went back to the hotel room. And when I went in there, he was like, you know, take your clothes off. And he beat me so badly. And I remember screaming in that hotel room for someone to come and save me or help me. Um, anybody and nobody came he ended up leaving and then coming back and hugging me and telling me you know i'm doing this for your own good like your family doesn't love you you're just a junkie um all of these things that my head told me for so long like now i had him saying it to me you know he would tell me things like i could be so much more um so like right there, like that trauma bonding started to happen. Like he told me when to eat, what to eat, how to dress, who to talk to. I didn't have a phone. I had warrants up here. Um, <clears throat> eventually I got, you know, too noticed in Atlantic City and we ended up in Las Vegas. Um, I was arrested over 30 times. Um, and every time I was arrested, I was just treated the way I felt, right? I was treated like I was dirty and like I was a criminal. Um, you know, they would do stings and it was always the girls getting in trouble. It was never the buyers. It was never the trafficker, the pimp that came in the casino and pulled me off of the chair by my hair, right? I got in trouble every single time. Um, it was just so open and normalized there. Um, you know, eventually he got, um, 
the bounty hunters came and got him and took him away. And I remember I was with him for over two years and I didn't have a phone. I didn't have any money. My, my family, I tried to call them once and then he took the phone and made up a lie about me. Um, you know, I didn't know what to do. Cause so when he got taken away, I felt like this sense of relief, like, thank God he's gone. And then I was like, Oh no, now what do I do? Like, I didn't know how to live. I wasn't allowed to even talk to anybody if they weren't either looking to buy me or it wasn't another girl that I was trying to take home with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up choosing up and like those words right there, again, make <laughs> me feel like I'm making all these choices because you can't be out there without, if you're a renegade, you'll get killed. Um, you know, so like I was just like in this cycle and I ended up back in New Jersey with the trafficker who let me do drugs. I ended up getting arrested and I did seven months in jail um, and I ended up calling my family and I lied, of course. I couldn't tell them why, what was really happening to me. Um, I told them it was, you know, I just was going to get clean and I'd get out and I'd have a job. Um, and while I was in there, I was in there with all other girls in there for the same things, right? Solicitation and trespassing. Um, and, you know, one of the girls was like, oh, my, my, my daddy could get you out. And so I ended up talking to him and he paid for a lawyer. And now I get out and like, I owe him money. It's just like this vicious cycle. Um, and this guy was worse than any of them. Like the beatings were so bad. And like, you know, I'd get in trouble all the time. And he put me down in like these dark, scary tracks and all over the country. Um, you know, and like one time he, he like beat my, my wife-in-law, like the other girl so badly. I thought she was going to die. And I tried to run and like, he caught me and whispered to me, like, if you do that again, I will kill you. And I believed him. Um, So I ended up just being like, okay, like this is my life. Like I'm going to die just like my mom or I'm going to die just like my father. Like either way, this is what it is. And I was okay with it. Um, You know, eventually I was with him for about a year and he actually sent me home for Christmas. He sent me and the other girl home for Christmas. And I remember coming up here with this whole story. Um, This is the first time I've ever talked about this because I felt like, embarrassed by it but it's important for somebody else to hear this because that's how sick you are and like how stuck to this person um and when i was home the whole time like i wanted to tell them what was happening but like how can you say this stuff when you don't know that you're a victim um so i ended up falling back and um you know i i met this cab driver this little old israeli guy and he would pick me up and see me with like black guys he would see me out there for days hungry and he would take me home and let me feed his cats and make me food and start asking me questions. Um, and he convinced me to call my aunt and tell her, you know, almost everything that was going on. And he started to take money from me and wire it to her until I had like, I don't know, a few hundred dollars saved. Um, and on March 19th, 2011, I left, I had, a change of clothes. Um, he brought me to a hotel room, got me a bus ticket, and the whole time I was getting death threats. Like, I told you I'd kill you if you leave, like, I'm going to find you. Um, and I just had, like, blinders on. I just wanted to be safe. just wanted to get home with people who loved me. Um, so I got home, and I swore I'd never do drugs again. And <clears throat> I just, all this trauma that came with it, like, trying to adjust to the real world after being in that life is not easy. Like, to even have a conversation with a man or another person um, 
took a long time and I ended up drinking a lot because that's the only way that I could do um, normal life, I guess. Um, and I never went to therapy. I never talked about anything because if I told anyone what had happened, they were going to treat me the same way that all the cops have treated me, all the CEOs have treated me. Um, and I just, I couldn't bear that feeling. Um, you know, eventually I met a guy and like, he was going to be my savior and I got pregnant really quick and now I'm pregnant and I have this baby's going to save me. Um, and while I was pregnant, I just like, I could, still couldn't talk about anything. So when I had my son, I just couldn't stay clean and sober. Like I couldn't wake up every day with all this stuff inside of me. And like, mind you, this whole time, I'm still getting death threats on Facebook. I'm getting threats. I'll tell everybody who you are, what you did. Um, and there's been many, there was many times where like, it felt easier for me to go back to that than to live life, you know, the square life, this regular life. Um, Thank God I never did. Um, now eventually my addiction caught up to me and, um, you know, I overdosed and I had my son taken away. I got evicted from my apartment um, and I went to the Salvation Army. And when I was there, I got a bag of hope um, and I started to ask questions and I learned about the woman Jasmine who started that. And, you know, I found out that I was a victim and now I have other women who are relating with me. And like, that's when my healing began. Um, when I was there, I said, I want to be an advocate for human trafficking. And my counselor would be like, slow down. Like, why don't you just focus <laughs> on yourself? Mm. Um, you know, I did a lot of work in there and like, that's where I found, that's where I found Jesus. And that's where I found learned forgiveness and like I could pray for my trafficker and I could pray for the buyers so that they may not hurt other people like I had been hurt and like Amen. you know I, I found out that it's not that God doesn't love me it's just that there's bad people in this world and like mm -hmm. my my addiction brought me to dark places and like put me in situations um but it wasn't my fault um you know, I graduated that program. I was working at Dunkin' Donuts. I moved into a faith-based sober house. Um, and when I was there, Jasmine came in and shared her story. And I remember the whole time being like, me too. Like, that happened to me too. And I told her my story. And she asked me to share once um, at a church. And I went in there. And I almost couldn't even get through my story. But once I did, it was like the chains fell off of me. Right? All of these threats that I was getting from these men for all these years about threatening to out me and who I was like, I just took ownership of my story. Like now it's mine. It can't hold me back anymore. Um, you know, I ended up getting a job at a shelter as direct care. And, um, you know, I, I went to court and like me and my son's father have a good co-parenting relationship. Um, you know, when I was at the shelter, the Salem police ended up hiring me to be their outreach worker. And the chief was like, we have to talk about your record. And, I <laughs> and I went in and I said, I'm just going to be completely transparent. Like, I'm going to tell her, like I said, I'm a survivor. And like, she hired me on the spot and I couldn't believe it. Amen. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I ended up getting a promotion. I ended up getting my own apartment. And like, for me to have my own two bedroom apartment that I pay for is such a blessing and a gift. You know, I struggle all the time, but like, I don't ever have to 
trade myself or my soul or let anybody abuse me for their pleasure again so I can pay my bills, right? Because uh, I can do that today and I work hard and like my son looks up to me. Um, you know, I'm in college now. Um, I work with Dads of Hope, mentoring girls and doing speaking events. Um, me and Arcel are members of the New England Coalition Against Trafficking. Um, I get to meet some amazing women who have carried me through because recovery hasn't been easy. I've been clean since May 4th, 2016. And like, mm-hmm. I've been through some, some trials, but, um, but I get through them. Like the best part of this is, is like, I get to walk alongside other women. Um, I get to walk alongside of people who are like still out on the street actively using or the girl who is standing on the corner sick and like her traffickers right up the street on Mass Ave. Like I get to go up to her and tell her that I care about her. Mm-hmm. Right. And just like continuously go out there and let these women know that there there is a better way. And like somebody does care because like when I was out there, that's all I wanted. I just wanted somebody to like care about me and tell me I was worth it, right? Because we are worth it. And like, we're worth so much more. Like I'm so much more than a survivor or just my story. Um, I don't know. (laughs) What I find fascinating is um, that Jasmine had an angel too. Jasmine had a gentleman that would bring her to her house. And I think they watched cartoons with each other. And the fact that you had this taxi driver man um just start pouring into you and trying to help you plan your escape is just absolutely amazing um do you, are you still in touch with that gentleman no i always said i was going to contact him um but i i just at that point i was just so scared to even like touch anything back there yeah um, yeah he was definitely my angel it takes you know, they say it takes one safe person to help someone get out of that life. Amen. Amen. And he was your angel. That is for sure. So the sober home that you went to, the faith-based sober home, where was that located at? Um, it was Ruth's Way for Women and Lynn. Amen. Paul O'Brien's house. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And My then, son had his own room there. He did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and do you utilize a 12-step fellowship for your recovery? I do. I have an NA sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, difficult right now because I hate Zoom meetings, but I do go to one meeting a week outside. Okay. And then is this your first time speaking out? I know you were at a church once with her, so that was like your first time sharing your story. Is this your first time on a Zoom meeting um, sharing it live? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. You're a very powerful woman. Um, your story, you, you are just, um, you're remarkable. And I'm so happy that like you are here to share that because there are people listening tonight and there are people that have this going on in their lives and they need to know that there is a way out, you know, that there is hope and both of you offer so much hope and give women courage. And, and I love that you walk right up to them and, and when you see them on Mass Ave, just to shine that light, like you don't have to live like that. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you, you know? So I appreciate you uh, sharing your experience, strength and hope. You're a remarkable young woman. And I look forward, what are you in school for? Uh, drug and alcohol counseling. Nice. Where, where are you going over to, um, what school? North Shore. North Shore, awesome. 
You got yeah. some great teachers over there for sure. Yeah, I love it. Definitely. I never thought I could get like A's. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, isn't it funny when we put the alcohol and uh, the drugs down, what we can accomplish? Yep. Pretty amazing. All right, well, I'm going to hand it over to Ursel, and then I'm going to have you talk, both of you talk about some of the um, places where people can reach out for help. Also, some signs that people might want to look for in regards to if you think someone's being um, sex trade. I know that there's um, some signs that we should be looking for, um, but take it away, my beautiful friend. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my name is Ursel. I am a survivor of human trafficking, sexual exploitation, active addiction, and childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. um, so my unhealthiness started at a young age, between like eight and 10. Um, and I reached out for my mom and my mom, you know, comes up in this era, a child's supposed to be seen, not heard. So when I tried to have a voice, she shut it down. Um, she didn't believe me, called me a pathological liar. Um, after that, I became completely rebellious. Um, I started staying out late. By the time I was 13, I was, you know, drinking with grown men. Um, I grew up in an area where there was a Black Panther's house, and I hung out there thinking I was grown. And um, by the time I was 14, I was in the combat zone. And um, like you said, Chelsea... I didn't have a pimp at the time. Like, so, I mean, I got snatched up very quickly. Um, and I was beaten to submission. Like, back then, it was guerrilla pimping. I was beaten to submission. Um, and I've seen the whole United States through the back of a Cadillac car. I've been all over the United States. Um, and like you, Chelsea, you know, I was arrested plenty of times, and I was treated like the bottom of somebody's shoe when at certain times that I was looking for a police officer to be my savior. And he just wasn't there. Um, I turned to drugs to continue to cope and do the things that I did. To be honest, drugs only numbed me. They didn't take anything away from me. I learned how to deal. Um, so at a young age, I had no hope. I had no voice. I was completely controlled. And I lived like that for almost three decades of my life. Um, and in those three decades, I had three amazing children who I harmed, who I abandoned, who I gave up. Um, today, my children are back in my life, except for one. Um, so I came in this process when I was at the ripe age of 42 years old, right? And um, I'm grown. I got three children. Mm -hmm. I know how to live. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I go into treatment and I'm like, go to bed at 10 o'clock. What are you talking about? They was like, yep, go to bed. <laughs> nope, that's not working for me. You mean I can't go down and eat nothing? Nope, you can't eat till breakfast. So I made my journey in treatment, you know, a little uncomfortable for myself. But Can I, I stayed. you for a minute? Yep. I think there's a phone call. Yes, Laurie. Oh. Laurie. Can everyone hear? Mm -hmm. Put her on. Go ahead, Laurie. Hi, Laurie. There we go. Hi, Laurie. Laurie? 
Okay, Laura, you're going to have to call back. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, I came into this, this process of recovery, um, and I didn't leave the behaviors of trafficking behind. So when I came in this process, I was able to put the drugs down, but I wasn't able to put the behaviors down. And, um, you know, I used men like men used me. Mm. I became what was done to me. Um, and I changed men very frequently. If they didn't make me smile anymore, they had to go, and I moved on to the next. And I met this beautiful woman who is still in my life today, and she gave me an assignment, which was a six-month hiatus from <laughs> men. <laughs> it took me almost a year to get to six months because mm -hmm. I just could not, could not be without a man. Um, that was one of the best assignments of my life because wow. it taught me that I don't need a man to make mm -hmm. me feel good about me. Amen. Um, so I work a 12-step program. That woman is my sponsor and has been my sponsor my whole recovery. I have my two daughters back in my life. My oldest daughter walked my footsteps. You know, um, when you think your children are not watching, they see everything. And... Um, I had to accept responsibility for that, for that damage. Mm. Um, as difficult as it was, I accepted it. Um, and it, my two daughters love me unconditionally. Thank God. Amen. Um, and they say, be careful what you ask for. I said, I want my children back. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm mother of the year. Mm -hmm. I got both of them under my roof. Oh my goodness. Three women, one bathroom, <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing. Um, I have a son who um, is not involved with me right now because of my inability to be his mother when he needed me the most. Mm -hmm. um, he is still my son, he is still my child, and I will be here and be available when God brings him back to me. Mm -hmm. um, today, I have a life that is amazing. So I do a lot of work with New England Coalition Against Trafficking. I do some work with Jasmine Grace Outreach. I do some work with PARI. Um, I just got hired as a peer specialist for the Adelante program out of Beth Israel. Amen. Um, I work at a halfway house part-time. I do some groups. Like, my life is amazing. And for all the trauma and all the experience that I've been through, I get to share that with women so they don't feel so alone. Amen. Or they don't feel like they're the only one. Mm -hmm. Like nobody can understand them. So I love sharing pieces of me with different women. Um, and when women move on, you know, out of my journey path, I just always tell them, you know how to find me. Find me on social media, and I'll do what I can. I'll support you where I can. But um, I love meeting women like Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't know Chelsea a few years ago, I wouldn't have liked her. <laughs> I wouldn't have liked her at all. I'd have been like, you want what I have, and I have nothing for you to, to take. But I wouldn't have liked you. Today, I love women like Chelsea because I love myself. Amen. And um, I just thank God that 
He showed me grace and gave me mercy to be here to share my experience, strength, and hope with the vulnerable population that um, other people throw away. Yeah. Um, I choose not to throw anybody that's vulnerable away. I want to help them. I want to love them. I'm an affectionate person. Like, you know, the call to action that Chelsea and I want to do on the 17th of this month, I'm probably going to hug people. <laughs> Even with COVID, I'll have a mask on, I'll have mm -hmm. some sanitizer, but I really believe the opposite of addiction is connection. So if I can connect with somebody, Amen. I give them a different perspective to look at life at. So, you know, I'm just really grateful and I'm really honored that, you know, you have me on this podcast. So it's an honor and privilege to have you here. Chelsea, I love you. And thank you for being you. Yeah. So in our feed, we have some things going on. And I just want to let you girls hear a little bit about what people are saying to you. People are saying hi. Um, and then you have someone asking a question that I want you girls to answer because I can't answer it. And it's from Amanda Robichard. She said, if we, people in the community, notice these women and want to help out on the streets, how do we approach them while keeping their safety in mind? Yep. And can you girls speak to that? Um, so if you notice something... You have to keep yourself safe first. Um, you can offer a bag with a sandwich, a bottle of water, and you can write a note in it. Um, and I would just say, but your safety must come first because you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but I think if you offer something, it could be a bottle of water, you've opened the door for a connection with that woman. Mm -hmm. And you may not make that connection right then, but that woman would come back like, okay, I know this woman gave me something. Because mm -hmm. um, the goal is to make some kind of safe connection mm -hmm. with the men and women that are being trafficked. Like, that's the first thing from what I read on this is making that like you had your angel, like you have that one person that you can connect with. And then I think if you continue to show up on maybe the same day every week, mm -hmm. um, if it's a Tuesday, and then like every Tuesday they know that you're, they're going to see you on Tuesday, yeah. and that's how the connection starts, and that's how you start opening a gate for escape. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we got another call? Laurie's back. We'll try. All right, Laurie, <laughs> come on back. in. Laurie's back. We'll try Laurie again. Hi, Laurie. Laurie? Hello? You can hear it warfing. Yeah. As she's there. I huh? thought we had it this time. Laurie, are you there? Well, okay. Laurie, are you there? Hello? Hey, Cole, can you, can you hear me? Hi, Laurie. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Hi, Cole. Hi. It's Laurie, Laurie Fran and Phil, uh... I know who you are, babe. Hi, Laurie. I just wanted to, um, I had to chime in on Chelsea because I've known Chelsea, uh, known Chelsea's, uh, for 35 plus years. So I've known Chelsea's brother, um, 
Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to give her her biggest shout out uh, for her bravery. Mm-hmm. And Chelsea, I've never heard the story. I've heard that I lived through some of it, seen some of it, but I didn't know a lot of your story, and you know, I didn't expect you. But the bravery you have tonight, um, and and unbelievable. And you talk about a strong woman. You have come so far, and you've done so well with your son. And, and of course, you're going to make it because you're strong, just like all of those Buckley women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never seen anybody stronger than her aunt. Hmm. And I am just so proud of you. you know, I see you a lot, not COVID, but, you know, I tell you how proud I am every time I see you, but not to the extent that it really is from my heart. I want to make a big deal, but I've got to for the most part. Um, so, and, and I didn't mean to cut the other girl off. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. And, um... God bless you too. You know, you guys are been through hell and back, and and he had to talk about. You're welcome. I love you guys. I love you. Love you too. Thank you for calling in. You call. You're welcome. Bye bye. So then you guys have a message from Fran Leahy. It says, "Wow, Chelsea, I can't believe you what you've gone through. Look at you now. You're a very strong, powerful woman. I'm Laurie's mom, and I never knew your entire story." But knowing your story makes me so proud of you and how far you've come. Which first name? These women are going to make me cry. I'm already crying. <laughs> and then Heather, Donahue, all y'all involved in the safe houses. They are out there. I've been involved in one up in Maine. Do we have another call? Yes, Teresa. Let's put Teresa in. Go ahead, Teresa. Hello. Hello. Hi, Teresa. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, just turn down I'm your so Facebook excited. because it's on delay, so that, that'll confuse you. So when you call in, turn your Facebook down. Okay. All right, go ahead. I can hear now. Yep. Good. Thank you for you calling. Hi, my name is Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Hi, I want to first say, God bless you and everyone of you. I want to say that I love each and every one of you, and I am so proud of the work that you're doing. Um, it was wonderful hearing you share your experience, strength, and hope, and it was wonderful to hear that you come out with that saying that we call, we do recover. Mm-hmm. When at the end of the rainbow, when we feel like there's nothing else left for us to do, but we do come on top and we do recover, and I'm so proud that you guys are going around and, like, sharing it with other women and, like, giving them the hope that they, too, can recover. Mm-hmm. I'm also a survivor myself. Amen. So you're touching my heart as I watch you on this wonderful platform here. And, like, it just makes me, like, it tells me in my heart that what I'm doing today is what I need to be doing today. So every day is not a good day for me, but it sure does beat those good days out there. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to commend you ladies, and I want to keep you in prayer, and I want to tell you that you are worthy and you are all women of integrity and to keep up the good work that you're doing. We need you. Amen. So Teresa, God bless you, and you keep your light shining, girl. I love you. 
I love you too. God bless. God bless. So then we have um, Wendy Cashman saying, risk calls admonishment for my language, but you ladies are badass. <laughs> bless you both for the work you do. Um, uh, thank you for sharing. You two are very powerful examples to so many. So inspiring. Very great to hear you. I appreciate it. So proud of you both helping out your own identity of being able to save and help others. And uh, love you, Ursel. And that is from Windia Rodriguez. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about some of the things that you girls are involved in. I know you have a, a date coming up in regards to um, handing out items. So is this something that you ladies need more items for? Are you all set? Um, and can you just speak a little bit about what that work is? Yeah. Um, so January 17th, it's the, um, so obviously January's tra Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Um, so on January 17th, me and Arsal will be hosting for Massachusetts on Mass Ave. Um, I can, we'll be out there trying, we'll be handing out resources. Um, I had an overwhelming response of folks wanting to donate. So I have a ton of blankets and clothes and hand warmers. Um, hats and gloves um, specifically though, because we'll be handing them out to men who are being trafficked and women. I have set aside um, just $5 dunks gift cards um, that I wanna specifically hand to the women. So I'm able to like put a resource in there, start a conversation. Um, but we, we try to go out to Mass Ave, um, at least try to go out there once a week or once every other week. So. Donations are always welcome because it's best to go down with something to give so that I can at least start a conversation. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then with the work that you do at the Salem Police Department, do you have access to being introduced to women that have been arrested for this? Do you start your conversation there? Um, I've only had, since I've worked there, once um, they called me down to talk to a girl that was a part of a sting. Um, for the most, like, office, when officers identify someone or they think, you know, they're, you know, prostituting or they're being trafficked, they'll call me and, like, tell me what she looks like. Um, and we have a drop-in center, so a lot of folks go there. Um, I mean, I've had a few people come through the shelter who have been identified as I had a labor trafficking survivor um, and then a sex trafficking survivor who was able to get to a safe house from um, the shelter. So where is the drop in center? I'm putting it into our feed. Um, it's 54 Margin Street, I think. It's right next to the shelter in Salem. It's a big church. Um, yeah, so there's always someone, there's a few people working there and they just provide resources, a safe place. There's a ton of donations. What are the hours that they're open? Um, so Monday through Friday, nine to four, I think they're trying to extend the hours um, and then some weekends. As the winter goes on, we'll try, we're trying to open up more. It's okay. been a little difficult with COVID. Yep. 
but they're doing a great job at like, cause shelter beds are down 50% and the shelter that I work for is amazing and always trying to figure out how we can um, serve more people. Like they see this huge need and they are mm -hmm. putting in the work to serve them. I'm grateful to work for them. Okay. And then you were telling us that you were working at Beth Israel and can you tell a little bit about that program? Um, so yeah, it is under the Center for Violence Prevention and Recovery. It is called Adelante, which means- What does Adelante mean? Moving Forward with Hope. Amen. Um, and it is a program specifically for victims of trafficking, labor and sex. Um, we have social workers, we have advocates on our team. I'm the peer specialist. Um, so I kind of get to meet people where they're at and kind of break that wall down so they can actually trust and, you know, kind of accept the help that's being offered. Yes. And how do they get brought into that program? Um, so we get referrals from um, BU Law Office mm -hmm. that does deals with immigration and stuff like that. Um, we get a lot of consultations from emergency rooms. Yep. Um, and it's a crossover with Beth Israel and Brigham and Women's. So um, they can self-refer as okay. well. Awesome. And is there a website for that that we can put in here as well? Um, it would be the Center for Violence Prevention and Recovery at Beth Israel Deaconessmedical.org. Got that all typed out? Yeah, Center for Violence. <laughs> Prevention and Recovery. at bidmc.org. Awesome. So have you ever, you two, just seen someone walking on the street, you understand what's going on, you know the whole drill and everything. Have you ever walked up to a woman and, and, um, and actually brought her off the streets and into normal quasi-living? Um, Have you ever had that experience? Have you been someone's angel? I don't want to say I've been somebody's angel. Um, mm -hmm. I've been somebody's guide. Amen. Um, like I have stepped up to a woman, um, you know, and she's being followed by, you know, the guy that's, you know, overseeing her. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I take her to get something to eat. You know, and I talk to her. He disappears to go do what he does, and then we disappear. Nice. Um, so my first thing is I would, depending on the area I'm in, I would take her to an emergency room just to make sure she gets medically cleared to go into substance use disorder treatment um, or to a safe house. Nice. And, um, you know, COVID's made everything difficult. Mm. I'm so sick of COVID. Me too. Because <laughs> you, you just can't respond to the need yeah. the way you normally would. Um but I've had, I've had a woman go to a safe house and um, she is developing into an amazing young woman. Amen. So um, the help is out there. It's just, for me, being available at the right time. Yeah. Like I just, I have to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And that's divine intervention with God, that's for sure. Amen. So we keep speaking of safe houses. So, how does an individual find out about where there is a safe house? What if there's someone listening tonight and she's like, safe house, where can I go? 
how do you get yourself into a safe? I mean, because they're <laughs> hidden. Mm -hmm. We keep them hidden. But how would one make that first step to say, I need to go into a safe house? Is there a number they call? Is there... It all depends on how, for me. Yep. Um, it all depends on how they start their journey. Like okay. if they go through an emergency room, yep. emergency room has those resources okay. and they know who to call okay. to get that process started. Um, if they're going through substance use disorder treatment, they can actually put that on their biopsych social. Okay. Um, and hopefully the treatment place they land can plug them in okay. with the right organization that they need. Amen. Amen. When we hand out bags of hope, too, we put cards in there with numbers, so one of us would be able to connect them. Yep. Um, and then through the New England Coalition Against Trafficking, they have a ton of resources. Um, but I, I most recently had a girl identify, and um, an FBI agent had come to talk to me about my former trafficker not too long ago, and he specifically works with the trafficking unit, and he has an advocate that works with him closely. So... Um, Anytime someone identifies or needs help, they'll come right there. He'll have the advocate with them, and they get them right to get them right to safety. That's a, amazing. I was sharing with Ursel about spending hours um, with this young woman, uh, my partner and I, and uh, just really, it took so much convincing to make her just okay. I'm gonna go, and now. Um, we get her to the location and we leave and five minutes later we get a phone call that she left and uh, i think that's one of the most frustrating things is want wanting what we want i want people to want what i want for them mm. and it's like when you you're not ready you, you're just not ready you know and just to continue to be out there and to be the hands and feet and and to keep yourself present so that um when the time does come Mm -hmm. that individuals know where uh, they can go that is for sure so so sharing your journey in regards to this um your son does he know anything about your life um he helps with bags of hope um he's gone to he used to hand out the key tags at the na meeting so he doesn't know the extent of it, but he knows that because I got sober clean when he was three and mm -hmm. I went away. So he knows I was sick. Yep. He knows I got better. He knows there's things I have to do to stay better. And he knows I don't, I don't drink. Amen. So the older he gets, the more I'll share because eventually he's going to Google me or somebody is. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And what about your children? In regards to, they lived it with you, right? Because you were going through your major addiction as a mom and all of that. And what type of relationship? I know you said you're good with your, the daughters and the son not so much, but was your daughters ever angry and did you work at the relationship or did they just have your back? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, they came back to, you know, I'm mother of the year. Like, I got nine months. I'm mother of the year. I'm not oh, smoking yeah. crack no more. I'm not turning tricks anymore. Give me my kids back. Yeah. Be careful what you ask for. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter, who walked my footsteps, mm. came back and told me to my face, I only did what you taught me to do. Mm. And I had to cock my head to the side and be like, are you disrespecting me? Mm. She said, take it the way you want to take it. 
and walked off. And I was just like, how dare she? <laughs> um, you know, and I had to eat that. Like, I had to really humble myself and hear her. Hardest thing, one of the hardest things for me. Um, my youngest daughter, she didn't know me. So when my mother would bring her to the recovery home I was in, she would cry. Because my mother would leave and she didn't know me and I'd come get her. She'd bring her back the next week and she would cry. And finally I got angry and I was like, well, you don't have to come back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that, that angel woman of mine said, nope, you're going to work at this. And um, I did some family therapy and it was hard. Um, but when you have a support system and you have a God of your understanding, um, anything is possible. Amen. So, you know, when they were angry and um, disgruntled with me, now they love me and they encourage me. So, Amen. Amen. And how old are they now? 27 and 17. Oh, good Lord. God bless you. <laughs> um, I also know there's some other organizations that are out there. Um, are you ladies? I'm going to put them in here. One of them was the Jasmine Grace. Mm -hmm. Jasmine Grace Outreach Ministries. Jasmine Grace Outreach Ministries. Mm -hmm. And any others that you want to put in here so that we'll always have this. They mentor um, C-Sex survivors or just vulnerable youth. Okay. What was... You said C? C also... Um, sexually exploited children. So um, anyone under 26, mm. so they have mentorship, um, a whole bunch of other, they do a ton of things. And that, that was the B Rise in Salem, Mass? We Rise. We Rise. And then there's GIFT. Um, gaining Independence for Tomorrow, which deals with um, DCF-involved youth for ages from 11 to 24. And then there's BUILD. I'm not exactly sure what that stands for. Um, and they deal with the LGBTQI community. Amen. Amen. So anyone that's listening tonight, we're trying to give you as much resources as we possibly can. And then can we go to some of the signs um, for people to look at? I know I gave one, um, and that is, well, I actually listed a bunch on our feed as we're going through. But some of the signs um, that someone's being trafficked, what should people be looking for? Um... It's, it's, it's really difficult to, you know, it's a new face in a new area. Um, the provocative dress, um, the body language. Um, it's, it's just, it's difficult to kind of see it um, because everybody's different and everybody's interaction being groomed is different. Okay. Um, I would say if you could build that trust, like you said, showing up every Tuesday at 4 o'clock with a Santa would draw a bottle of water. Yeah. Don't have to say anything, but that starts, okay, maybe I can go to this person because they're always here. Mm -hmm. 
um, the consistency with people being available is what I feel will bring somebody closer to them. Okay. Um, it's, it's one of the things that I heard uh, that I had read when studying this was also the um, they refer to the pimp as their daddy. And when, Chelsea, when you were telling your story, I heard you say, Daddy, in regards to um, either your pimp or someone that was there. So that's a, something like a, head, like a heads up for a mom. Like if her daughter's coming home and there's new clothes, but the daughter's withdrawn and, and over here is what I'm talking about, like a daddy. Mm -hmm. like that, that would be a, a key word for a family to be listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they're coming home. I think you froze. She froze up a bit, yeah. Probably come back. Um, I know clothing, all of a sudden new clothing, new jewelry. Nails and done. And then nails done and also, um, and the grooming process is typically by someone who's really close with you, right? Mm -hmm. Someone that you have formed a relationship with. Yep. Yes. Chelsea, you had frozen. Did you want to finish that? Oh, um, I don't know where I, yeah, I, I know, like, if a girl's with a guy and she's walking, like, you know, a few feet behind them and her eyes are to the ground, that's yeah. a sign. Okay. Um, certain tattoos are signed. I know I've had almost all of mine covered up. Um, Amen. Yeah. Are there any established codes or ways of communicating or signaling for help? Uh, sometimes we hear about that, and I don't know if it's urban myth or not. I don't know. I don't think so. What about you, Charles? No, no. She's right. having, having some signal trouble, yeah. Yep. Well, listen, if you tuned in tonight, this was an amazing evening of two amazing survivors. We put a lot of information into the newsfeed um, that will always be there with places where you can go, um, places you can call. And uh, if you're out there, and, and, and this is you, like you're not alone, um, and you too can survive, it's just taking that one, making that one initiative move and uh, and sometimes it just needs to be a small one to start planning the plan. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Chelsea's was meeting with that gentleman and putting money away to try to plan your escape. You know, if you do it fast, then it, it could end up not going the right way. But just small baby steps to planning. Um, there is an escape. There is a way out. And there are so many organizations ready to help you. So uh, if anyone out there tonight is struggling um, and having this experience, uh, we pray for you. We, we pray that you, you make it to safety, and we pray that you take that leap of faith. And um, I just want to thank you both so much for being here with us tonight. And uh, I hope um, to see you girls around mm -hmm. and uh, continue to share the light. And this will... Um, you can become a survivor and no longer a victim. Amen, Teresa. So Amen. true, right? You became one of my favorite things is I'm no longer a victim. I'm a victor. And I believe that uh, one of you have that in your bio, and that is so true. <laughs> so I thank you for being us here tonight on uh, The Empty Cheer. And uh, God bless you both. And uh, bottom of my heart, thank you for...
being transparent and sharing with us. And if you're out there listening tonight, you're not alone. And uh, reach out for help. We need you. Thank Good night, you. everyone. And God Good night. bless.